While writing this episode, I was taking a break online and came across something that caught my eye on Reddit. This was a green text meme that made its way to the front page. If you're unfamiliar with green text, they're basically super short stories condensed into bullet point type lists. Here was what caught my attention. It read, Parents ignore me because I grew up to become a failure. Then the next line reads, Work as a car mechanic. That, um, cuts pretty deep. I don't try to hide the fact that I'm a mechanic, otherwise fancily known as an automotive service technician. Even if someone could make the argument that I no longer do it for a living professionally, and some may try to suggest that I am being a hypocrite since we constantly promote deferring to a field of experts, see episodes 22 and 23, why then should our listeners listen to a sustainability consultant chat about sustainability when his technical background is not in sustainability? That's a fair question, and one I imagine many skeptics may want to ask. So we are going to preemptively answer it. None of us here at Viable Underdogs claim to be experts specifically in sustainability. After all, sustainability comprises a ridiculously large amount of fields, from economics, politics, many branches of science, many aspects of business, and lots and lots of others. See episode 32. We claim to be expert generalists something we hope you now agree sustainability requires. Sustainability requires that a generalist knows which experts need to be consulted and when. After all, who else is going to tell you the best time to cue up the intro music? Welcome to Viable Underdogs, where we try and teach you cool things and hopefully encourage everyone to become a bit more sustainable. My name is John, the expert diagnostician Carlos is with me as well. This is episode 34. Today, we're telling you the story of Viable Underdogs. Well, this consultancy firm, not when we use the term to refer to humanity. We hope that if you learn where this idea came from, then it may artificially accelerate the adoption curve. It's completely understandable for some to be skeptics. As for my background, at one point, a long time ago, I specialized in automotive electrical diagnostics. Which is a challenging job, since I am sure many of you are aware just how complex the electrical and networking systems have become in modern vehicles. My skills may be a bit rough, but I did indeed used to be an expert in diagnostics. And in this episode, we will try to illustrate how we used lateral thinking to take my expertise in diagnostics and apply them to the field of sustainability. This will hopefully allow you to see how we came to these conclusions. Then you can decide for yourself whether someone who specializes in diagnostics and as a generalist is qualified to discuss sustainability with you. As with everything else we present on this show, these are your decisions to make. And maybe we get annoying at how often we repeat this, but we are eventually going to need your help, which will require you to have asked yourself these questions. Well, it starts off with my own personal story. That initially started with very humble ambitions and kind of slowly started to grow in scope until the point you see today, where we are about as humble as Drax especially since we now think we can lazily reuse recent jokes. 
By understanding how this came about, you can then decide for yourself whether what we're proposing is grounded in reality. In late 2016, I was working and living in Australia. I still looked at news and updates from my home country, Canada, but would also look at news and updates based on where I was living in. And since The Guardian had a satellite site based out of Australia, it was a news source that seemed to come up more frequently. And they appeared to cover news stories on sustainability far more than many other news sources I looked at. Whether these news outlets were left-leaning or right-leaning, or were based out of Australia or other countries. This seemed kind of weird. I'm sometimes a bit of a skeptic, and I'll admit that this level of coverage seemed a little alarmist. So I started to do my own research. It wasn't too hard to find many legitimate sources confirming what The Guardian was reporting on. And it did bother me that it kind of seemed like other news outlets were not providing sustainability with the level of coverage it required. But at this point, I kind of left that idea on the back burner, as I started to do more and more research. Later in the year, I started toying with the idea of starting a small business based out on the idea of sustainability. I had tried to enlist the interest of others, which proved difficult since they kind of looked at sustainability on the same level I did prior to 2016. Eventually, others like Carlos signed on, and we began brainstorming and researching some ideas. As we did, we noticed something odd. It seemed that many others had the same idea we had, and had already began many small businesses with some pretty neat ideas. Lots of cool, innovative solutions that we would come to expect from human ingenuity. Governments seemed on board as well particularly as the Paris Agreement had just internationally been signed. So why wasn't more happening? The more research we did, the more we couldn't really understand why it seemed like, as a species, we globally had accepted the idea that sustainability was important, but nothing was really happening. And this was when I remembered my initial thought that it was strange that media outlets were not covering the topic of sustainability. This was when I had the idea to perform a global diagnostic based on the method I used to utilize when I was an automotive technician. It was more so just as a curiosity. We never dreamed that the diagnostic would reach this largest scale. Before we go on, here is the diagnostic process I used to use. Most of it was taught to me in some way or other on the job. As I gained more experience and encountered different problems and challenges, I modified it and added to it. Here it is in a nutshell. The diagnostic process I used when diagnosing complicated problems primarily related to the electronic and computer components on vehicles. Number 1. Verify the concern or problem. This may seem obvious, but you know when a car makes a noise and then you bring it to the mechanic and the noise stops? Yeah, that's a good example. It's hard to fix a problem that can't be reproduced. Number two, assume nothing. Even if there was an experienced and capable technician that worked on the car before you, people make mistakes. You might assume the work they did was 100%, only to waste countless hours diagnosing other parts of the car 
only to then come back and realize the work had initially been performed incorrectly or it was incorrectly diagnosed by the previous technician in the first place. As well, never underestimate the potential for weird problems that can arise. If it doesn't violate the laws of physics, then understand that it is a possibility. 2.5. Set parameters. As an example, when diagnosing a vehicle problem, it is highly unlikely that a customer will be happy with the following solution. Replace the vehicle. Even though it technically does correct the problem. This also may seem obvious, but it is necessary to set parameters such as these when diagnosing very complex problems. It will make more sense when we get to our sustainability diagnostic. Number 3. Description Operation This is the information provided from the manufacturer and the engineers on how the component or components operate. Since new vehicle systems and technologies are invented every year, it's not uncommon for a mechanic to be unfamiliar with the system they are working on. So they gotta learn pretty quick. This tells them the info they require. It's often super condensed, which is very helpful. Number 4. TSBs and RRTs. These are known as technical service bulletins and rapid response transmittals. These may vary in name depending on the manufacturer or where you're located on the globe, but it's basically just a memo telling you about commonly found problems. 4.5. Data. The check engine light, common problems, etc. You know, kind of like the warning systems on the car's dash. Number 5. The diagnostic flowchart. Provided by engineering. Most are good, some are confusing, and a couple have some mistakes. And some are just plain terrible. So you always have to combine it with your own expertise. If this wasn't necessary, then anyone could repair the vehicle with the flowchart alone. Number 6. Ensure the repair slash road test the vehicle. It's not uncommon for techs not to road test the, the car after the repair. After all, it takes time, and many are paid by the job, not by the hour. But this is not a step you should ever skip. It could become dangerous. The road test is a fail-safe. All of us are capable of mistakes, after all. Using lateral thinking, see episode 32, we can take my diagnostic process and apply it to global sustainability. Here's what it looks like. Number 1. Verify the concern. The Paris Agreement, the IPCC, Climate Central, and many other organizations confirm these problems. The overwhelming majority of scientists have also reached a consensus or general agreement on these matters. However, at this stage, those that do not agree still cannot be ignored. But if we look at all the sustainability problems at once, there is little to no dispute that sustainability is an issue that needs to be addressed. The only debate seems to exist on how bad the problem is, but this stage of the diagnosis is complete. The problem has been confirmed. Number 2. Assume nothing. This means looking at any proposed solution with skepticism. Even those that are concerned with sustainability can make mistakes, 
or may also not have the complete information to make the best decisions. See many previous episodes, including 4 and 5. If the overwhelming majority of a field of experts have reached a consensus on something, we should defer to this expertise. As you can imagine, this is not easily accomplished, as it may appear contradictory. But it becomes easier to manage once it is confirmed that there are communication problems at play. Consensus, then, can only be trusted if it comes from original sources. See episode 27 where we discuss the telephone game to illustrate this point. 2.5. Set parameters. This means that any realistic sustainability solutions need to be based on a set of criteria. See episode 5. Solutions need to be realistic in terms of application, costs, and timeframes. And we cannot depend on some deus ex machina style wizardry to come save the day. See episode 13. Did I, uh, say and use that right? Number 3. Description and Operation This is where the idea to look at the planet as an engine comes into play. There exists lots of overlap in many issues of sustainability. Deforestation compounds climate change as one of many examples. This means that sustainability needs to be looked at as one major problem with many sub-problems, and all of these sub-problems combine to produce many problems for our planetary engine, Earth, See episode 28. Number 4. Technical Service Bulletins and Rapid Response Transmittals. Does anyone already have proposed solutions? Yep, but all of these solutions are happening far, far too slowly, and many barely get off the ground. We need to find a way to expedite and mobilize these solutions. 4.5. Warning Systems. Where are ours? See all of our episodes related to communication. Our global warning systems, for example the field of journalism, are not operating correctly. Journalists are kind of like the check engine light in a car. They indicate when there is a problem in need of correcting. Number 5. Diagnostic Flowchart We knew that there were two main problems with sustainability, the technical side and the financial side. The technical side was why we went looking at the field of engineering technology, and the financial side was why we went looking at the fields of business and economics. This was when our sustainability flowchart was discovered. It already existed in the field of business. Management consultants specialize in exactly this type of thing, just on much smaller scales. It was just a matter of adapting these concepts to work on a much larger organization than a business. Number 6. Confirm Repair This one is also a bit tricky, since we cannot exactly confirm the repair since the repair cannot yet start at this stage. But, we applied a concept scientists often utilize to confirm their scientific theories. See episode 18, when we talked about making predictions. It's one thing to make connections. It's quite another to look somewhere specific, expecting to find a result. We knew that there were communication errors present in sustainability, much like communication problems that can be present in businesses among departments. And we also know that there are very intelligent people on this globe. 
surely if the problem was there, someone had already located it. The following are just two examples of information we looked for to confirm our diagnostic. The first one was the fall of journalism in the 1990s, see episode 31. Based on our global organizational framework, we knew that governments were aware of how bad the problem was, but the general public, for a large part, did not. So we looked at where the general public gets the majority of its information from. Lo and behold, the fall of journalism. Check back at episode 31 to see the sources we went looking for. To clarify, we did not read this and come to our conclusions. Based on the results of our diagnostic, this exact problem needed to exist. If it did not exist, it meant our diagnostic for the communication breakdown of sustainability was incorrect. The second was the requirement of generalists. See episode 32. Why had no one thought to utilize lateral thinking in this manner before? With 7.5 billion people, it appears almost statistically impossible. This was not that wild of an idea, and the world already combines many fields like business and engineering. Not to mention, in the field of science, it's not uncommon for discoveries to be made simultaneously and independently. Most of you have probably heard of Isaac Newton, but how many of you have heard of Gottfried Leibniz? We'll let you research that one on your own. But the only thing we have all ever claimed to be experts in is in being generalists, which should explain why these connections have not been made. Since the field of generalists does not exist on the required scale for someone to have applied lateral thinking in this method. And now that we were adopting many business strategies, we finally had an explanation for why some scientists and many other experts and even politicians were not in agreement with the majority on the subject of sustainability. We could use adoption curves to explain the slow acceptance of this idea. And it was particularly slow due to the communication errors present. There are entire books written on exactly this subject, and many real-world examples on the slow acceptance of ideas. On the adoption curve, laggards can make up to 16% of people, so 16% of scientists can fall into the category of those that are very slow or even refuse to change their minds. See episode 22. And this is further compounded by the communication errors present. Even some of the late majority probably still have not changed their minds. The slow acceptance of ideas might not be common knowledge to the general public, but it is common knowledge in some fields. See episode 30. This means we have five major challenges to overcome. Number 1. Communication. See episodes 3, 7, 8, 18, 20, 23, 27, 29, 31, and 33. Number 2. The emotions associated with a sustainability crisis. Apathy, fear, denial, etc. See episodes 9, 14, 15, 16, 17, 25, 31, and 35. Number 3. Bureaucratic inefficiency of both science and politics and even in businesses. See episodes 6, 12, 14, 19, 20, 21, and 29. Number 4. Global cooperation. 
See episodes 10, 11, 12, 15, 24, and 33. Number 5. The slow acceptance of new ideas. See episodes 6, 22, 23, 24, 29, 30, 31, and 32. How do we locate the 2.5% of innovators who will listen to us, perform their own research, and share their findings with early adopters? Who will then share it with the early majority, which should hit the tipping point, see episode 35, and get this idea to be globally accepted as quickly as possible? Well, mostly accepted. The laggards and some of the late majority could prove difficult, as is often the case with new ideas. Maybe we will be pleasantly surprised, and this will not be the case. We do use the word hopefully quite a bit on this show after all. Maybe too much. At the end of this episode, we will leave a list of books and other sources that were useful in performing this global sustainability diagnostic. It's not to say that we used any of these 100%, but they all make interesting points that oftentimes required further exploration. They're kind of used as general guidelines and as a source for ideas. We're also not saying anyone needs to read them, but it may be helpful to change the minds of some of our more skeptical listeners. This entire podcast is our sales pitch on this idea. See episode 16. Well, really, that's not its only purpose. As you will find out next episode. We don't want to spoil the surprise here but we used lateral thinking to update a business framework invented in the 1940s to work on a global level as the first stage in addressing global sustainability. Is it a wild idea to use a podcast as a platform to launch this framework from? As usual, this will be a decision you need to make after you're done listening to this phase of our podcast, the Global Sustainability Diagnostic. Next episode will be the start of the next phase, Global Unfreeze. Unfreeze, in this case, pertains to Lewin's three-step change framework. See episode 30 for more info on frameworks. Kind of an ironic and contradictory name, isn't it? We here at Viable Underdogs want to solve global warming with a global unfreeze. Oh boy. That's a pretty sweet soundbite for anyone that disagrees with us to use. Let's change that up. We here at Viable Underdogs want to apply lateral thinking and solve global sustainability using proven concepts from the business field. Hopefully, you now understand how an automotive service technician and diagnostics can be helpful in many ways if lateral thinking is creatively applied. To wrap up, we wanted to mention that we respect the expertise of many fields, disciplines, trades, and general occupations, and we hope that this is apparent on the show. Also, as I myself studied a couple semesters of electrical engineering technology, I have tremendous respect for engineers and technologists. From personal experience, I can tell you, that stuff ain't easy. But we also believe in professional rivalry and having a bit of fun, so I'm going to share a joke often told among automotive techs when we try to figure out why the engineer designs something in a manner that only seems to be to make the mechanic's life much more difficult and painful. 
Question. Why were mechanics created? Answer. Because engineers desperately needed the help. Shots fired! Shots fired! Quick, Carlos, run the outro! Thanks for listening. As always, please share and forward this podcast. The first step towards realistic sustainability is in knowledge and discussion, which will allow us to begin a global unfreeze. And this can't happen without everyone's input. Please send any questions, comments, or jokes at the expense of mechanics to viableunderdogs at gmail.com. Our intro music is composed by Mark Kronowski and the music currently playing by Jonathan Atkinson. We have also previously featured the music of Bjorn Lynn and Philippe Vasseo. We have used sound effects from zapsplat.com and we obtain many of the images we use from pixabay.com. That's P-I-X-A-B-A-Y. And we record all of our episodes using Audacity software. You can learn more at audacityteam.org That's spelled A-U-D-A-C-I-T-Y-T-E-A-M dot org. Here's a list of books and resources if you want to do more research. We included the ones we found most helpful. Again, these should be looked at as sources of idea generation, the occasional guideline, and really they were all pretty enjoyable reads. Isn't that what's most important? The Myths of Innovation by Scott Birkin How to Change the World, Social Entrepreneurs and the Power of New Ideas by David Bornstein. The World's Newest Profession, Management Consultant in the 20th Century by Christopher D. McKenna. Crisis Communications by Stephen Fink. Harvard Business Review, 10 Must-Reads on Change Management. Small is Beautiful by E.F. Schumacher. The Greenhouse Approach by Chitra Anand. Global Weirdness by Climate Central, The Tipping Point and Blink by Malcolm Gladwell, Debating Climate Ethics by David Weisbach and Stephen Gardner, Many Business Textbooks and Resources including the book we have referenced quite a bit called Management by John Shermerhorn Jr. and Barry Wright. And don't forget to check out your local library if you're fortunate enough to live by one. As well, there are many YouTube channels and online resources like Crash Course. We pulled some data from the following series on Crash Course. Economics, World History, Statistics, and Philosophy. Other helpful YouTube channels are SciShow, that's S-C-I-S-H-O-W, and Nancy Pie, N-A-N-C-Y-P-I, which saved my butt quite a bit when I was learning engineering. As well, a friend recently recommended Science Garage by Donut Media that does a great, entertaining job at explaining how the various systems in cars and engines work. In truth, probably much simpler, more thorough, and more entertaining than we have done on this show. Other websites include Futurism.com, Khan Academy, and XKCD.com, and you can learn more about many energy concepts at Schneider Energy University Online. It's free, and there is a ton of info there. That's at schneideruniversities.com. That's S-C-H-N-E-I-D-E-R universities.com. There's also a lot of free online courses at websites like Coursera.org. That's C-O-U-R-S-E-R-A dot org. Last, we have often used the news source The Guardian at theguardian.com. Hopefully we will have more news outlets on both sides of the spectrum to add to this soon. 
and we hope we haven't forgotten any sources, and if we did, we will add them in future episodes. Fun Carlos Fact Carlos's favorite scientist is F.D.C. Willard.